This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 127, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, December the 11th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number 127. Uh, This is the Comic Reviews episode for releases from Wednesday, December the 11th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. Uh, This episode, I'm actually uh, not live, obviously, but recorded from a dank basement at a bank in Canada. What an exciting place to be. Um, So let's jump into this week's, or this past week's releases. Uh, First off, we have Batgirl number 26. Uh, This was actually really, really good. Um, This is the end of an arc. Um, It was, it's actually interesting to me that they didn't end the arc with 25, just because that's a nice number to do as an end of an arc but this was at the actual end of the arc and in Batgirl 26 I thought this was actually a really strong issue um, written by Gail Simone um, she continues to, to do a real good job of uh, capturing Barbara Gordon as a character and even Jim Gordon uh, our work is by Daniel Sampierre or Semper, and our, uh, I guess inks are by Jonathan Galapian um, I really dug this I mean, you have the issue starting out you have um now I forget who they're even called. They have this team of metahumans attacking Commissioner uh, Gordon. They're about to kill him, or not necessarily kill him, but maim him especially. And then out of nowhere, you have uh, Batgirl ram her motorcycle right into the uh, into the house and uh, attack these villains, um, which was actually pretty pretty awesome to see, just because we get to see just how good uh, Batgirl is as a as a combatant and as a strategist. Um, seeing how she takes on Mirror, and I like the idea that we're kind of seeing all these different characters, and it's in Nightfall, etc. And it feels like it's really been earned this kind of conclusion. Um, and you have a, a nice kind of brief heart to heart with Barbara and uh, Jim Gordon. And this is an awesome part where Jim or Barbara tries to give him um, basically a, a bat belt as a, a spare bat belt, and he's like, "I wouldn't know what to do with it." And I'm like, "That's actually really funny." but also cool. And I like the idea that you have these two characters kind of facing off. The only problem about Batgirl and Commissioner Gordon coming face-to-face and having any kind of you know interaction and, and discussion is that it definitely brings up the question of wouldn't Commissioner Gordon notice his own daughter? I mean, yes, part of her face is obscured, but a lot of her face isn't. And uh, those eyes, he would know. Like, wouldn't he know who it is? Um, so there's a little bit of a question there as to... You know, what, especially it's not just any person. It's Commissioner Gordon, a former detective, but somehow he doesn't realize who it is. Um, anyways, you have their Commissioner Gordon and Barbara Gordon uh, as Batgirl are holed up in the basement. They're able to then fight them, fight their way out. Uh, Batgirl using surprise to attack both of them and using the close quarters to be able to use the space against them uh, and take them all out, or at least heavily defeat, them, almost defeat them. Uh, Jim Gordon is able to call for help in terms of his um, activating the bat signal and uh, as he's outside the house and then Nightfall calls off the entire attack and uh, Batgirl is kind of like, well, I gotta go. And then Gordon puts his gun to her and says, you know, her hands are up and Barbara tries to explain what happened, that she didn't mean to kill him, it wasn't on purpose. And finally, you know, she's kind of giving Gordon the idea that, you know, it wasn't her fault and... um, he kind of accepts it, and then she tries to take off her mask, which is something we've seen with Bruce happen in the pre-New 52. She turn, he turns it aside, and he's like, I, I won't look. I don't want to see who you are. And if I wanted to know who you were, I'd already know. 
we see Nightfall talking with James Gordon Jr. Uh, so I like that at least in this book we're referencing the fact that he is still alive. Um, and at the end of the issue, uh, the guy, I forget his name, Ricky, uh, who Barbara gone out on a date with, he has survived the shooting. Uh, it was a really strong issue. I really enjoyed it. Uh, great artwork. Uh, the writing by Simone was very much on point. Um, I gave this a very happy 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Back Man, number 26. Now, this is going to probably get a lot of people going, well, are you freaking kidding me? But I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. I didn't like this that much. Uh, I've been surprised by Zero Year that I haven't really enjoyed it as much as I'm, I was hoping I would. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons for why I'm not quite enjoying it. Um, I haven't thought that Capullo's artwork has been uh, his strongest by any means. Uh, Snyder's writing is still pretty good, but... Um, the artwork has been throwing me off a bit, and because of that, I mean, I can't really give it as high a rating. Uh, so this issue, it's only going to get a, a 5 out of 10 for me. So let's just jump right into it. Um, so I think part of what I haven't enjoyed as much about this one is like that, that grotesque kind of monsterish, monstrous character that we're dealing with in this arc. I have found it's kind of taken me out of the main narrative and I've taken me out of the kind of the more grounded atmosphere that I like about Batman generally. Um, so let's kind of go through the issues. So we start with uh, Bruce Wayne uh, being told he's under arrest uh, by by Gordon. Uh, then you have the kind of the Flash uh, title page. You have, I hate the design on Bruce Wayne in the past. I, it doesn't look like Bruce Wayne. I don't like the look. Um, you have... Uh, him and Lucius being attacked by, uh, and I forget his name, but it's this ridiculous, almost Dr. Deathish character. Not a big fan of this new character that's been utilized, if he's even new. Uh, again, I feel like I'm a little bit out of the loop on this. I, maybe I didn't read the last issue or two, but I think I did. Um, anyways, and so like, I don't like this character, and I don't like how Batman's being written. I found the action to be a little bit hard to follow at times, and it wasn't necessarily that uh, that clear... Um, yeah, this just, I really wasn't a fan of this at all. And again, it really took me out of the story, this giant monstrous monster. Um, then you have Gordon showing up to kind of save the day, and then Bruce almost dying, then you have a flashback to, you know, Bruce in the past, uh, which was alright. I mean, it wasn't the greatest flashback I've ever seen of Bruce Wayne in the past. Uh, that being said, isn't this whole arc a flashback to the past? Um, Oh, and I, I, yeah, I just didn't really care for it. Uh, Batman find, or sorry, Bruce Wayne finds himself kind of cuffed, and so him and Gordon have a bit of a conversation, and then we have this idea that uh, Bruce Wayne learns a little bit more about in the past when he was picked up by Gordon. Uh, he he thought that Gordon was just like an honest cop, but then realized that maybe that there's more to it, and so I don't like this idea that maybe there's more to like Gordon kind of being a potentially bad cop in the past. What I also don't like about that is I always like the idea that he kind of came to Gotham like he did in year one, and now it's kind of being taken away. And, uh, yeah, I just I didn't, I didn't just didn't like this. And even having Bruce Wayne being a little too capable and, and having kind of a rough, uh, kind of, not conversation, but confrontation with Gordon, I just, I found it took me out, and I, I, I didn't think it needed to be there. I don't think it really added a lot to the story, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, you have the idea that there's these characters that are being turned into these monsters. Um, Batman's being confronted by the police and he's being kind of ripped to shreds. That part's almost neat, but again, 
Uh, I'm not really enjoying this story, and that's why I'm leaving it a five out of ten. It's just it, I thought it would be more. I thought it would be better, and I I have not really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people are really loving Zero Year, and I think it's had moments of goodness, but uh, for me, it's few and far in between, unfortunately. Uh, next up is Captain America 14. Uh, this continues Rick Remender's current run. Uh, I think this is actually one of the strongest issues I've read in a while. Um, Carlos Pacheco, Pacheco does artwork. I don't think it's his best work. It's a little too bulky at times, especially Cap's costume. I don't like the armor, the way this shirt. Some some illustrators like Opeño may make it look good, but others just it doesn't look right. And that first shot of Nuke having just hit, like there's no motion to the, the shot, but there's some glinting off the shield, which is either just a glint or showing that someone just hit it. Um, I do like the idea that you have this bloody battle between Nuke and Captain America. I think they're really fascinating as foes because they're both super soldiers of completely different eras. I think Captain America tries to kind of appeal to the Patriot inside. Nuke tries to you know, convince him to realize that his orders are just lies and trying to help him. But just when he gets through to him, the press kind of makes a sound and this photographer becomes known to Nuke. And Nuke kind of goes all mental because he wants to stop this uh, the media from perverting everything which is kind of an interesting angle to take because it's not necessarily wrong uh, in some ways Falcon then attacks uh, and goes tries to be pretty brutal against uh, Nuke but Nuke obviously is more, more much more powerful than him and then just when Nuke goes to, to confront the uh, the uh, reporter uh, Captain America you know takes him on again and it's actually this really badass sequence because Captain America is kind of giving in to everything that he's lost and everything he went through in the first you know mega arc in this in this title and there's this great shot where he's honestly about to like behead nuke and uh falcon stops him and i actually really like that and i like the idea then that all nuke ever wanted was to make you know everyone proud and he's like all i ever wanted for our boys for the forgotten and then he just grabs captain Merker's kind of leg and it's just almost like a sobbing mess uh, i thought it was pretty strong then you have an appearance of nick fury which i thought didn't really fit because He's wearing Nick Fury's like it's the, basically it's the Nick Fury that we know from Secret Avengers, but instead of being portrayed as being more of an agent, he looks more like the Ultimate Nick Fury, or basically like Samuel Jackson here, and that kind of bugged me. Um, and then the idea is also that Falcon allowed the uh, the journalist to keep her camera and expose the potential truth, or use it to her own ends, and that obviously goes against what Captain America would have liked. And then the last page, I don't know who this is supposed to be exactly, but it's some mysterious character who's going to drive an iron nail, iron nail into the heart of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyways, I really like this issue. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, it was incredibly strong, very enjoyable. Next up, well, from something very enjoyable to something not very enjoyable. Uh, it is by, let's see, we're looking at... Inhumanity, The Awakening, number one. Uh, I was excited to see what this was like. I don't really know a lot about Matt Kent as a, as a writer. Uh, so you got Matt Kent writing with Paul Davidson and Art. I really didn't like this. I'm going to be charitable and give it a four. I, I kind of, parts of me, hated this. Um, you have basically Avengers Initiative characters, sorry, Avengers Academy characters teaming up with characters from Wolverine the X-Men or the Jean Grey School uh, to kind of help salvage everything that's happened in the wake of uh, the end of Infinity and the uh, also what's happening to the characters turning into humans. Um, the entire issue had a lot of these kind of uh, tweets or Facebook messages or whatever you want to call it. I guess it's supposed to be tweets about these people who have suddenly turned into uh, inhumans. So you have what, Finesse, uh, Striker, Pixie, and Kid Omega are going to go, go to take a look and they find this girl who now is able to fly. 
Um, I just I found the art not very good. I found the story took a long time to get there. I thought the the tweeting was extremely obnoxious. Uh, the story took too long to get to where it was going, and even when it got there, I just found it was just it was trying too hard. Uh, the idea that people are different and you can't you know you got to be able to embrace what makes you different, what makes you special. I just thought it was way too much of that, and uh, it's not like it's a bad message. I just I, after a while, I just felt like it was beating it. You know, I had again and again and again. And unfortunately, this isn't just a one-shot. It's a mini-series, and it's not over. And it's really unfortunate because I really don't want to read any more of this, and I probably won't. I give it a 4 out of 10. I didn't like the art. didn't really like the writing by Matt Kent. I thought there was an over-reliance on the tweets, which I found, as I said, extremely obnoxious. Um, So that was a 4 out of 10, and that's a charitable 4 out of 10. Next up is Justice League 25. Uh, Actually, I actually kind of dug this. I liked it. Um... It was definitely an interesting type of story. It's basically a, a flashback to more of the history of uh, the Batman, sorry, the Owlman character. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns. I work by Doug Monkey. Um, so 30 years ago in another universe in another Gotham City, there's Thomas and Bruce. And uh, so they're both together as brothers. And then suddenly uh, they kind of turn on the parents and they hold them up, which is obviously very different. And their parents aren't very nice people either and it was uh they end up killing well bruce doesn't kill but it's actually uh, alfred who kills the parents and uh and kills bruce which is kind of crazy and the idea that uh you know this is a very different gotham city and thomas wayne jr then shoots his brother to actually kill him and then in the current continuity not in the current uh strategy sorry <sighs> the current continuity as we flash forward to what's going on during Forever Evil. We have all these wise guys in Chicago trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Owlman shows up to kind of uh, destroy those who are kind of leading the families, leading the organized crime, and take over the organized crime syndicate for himself. Uh, he kills a lot of people while he does it, and he, this, he finds these two people, and he says, one of you is going to survive, and you're going to be the one to lead... Um, you know the, the crime family now and organized crime is now organized under me your family is mine very cool and then we kind of flip to grid assessing what's been going on with nightwing and the hooded man and all, you know all the different places that have been going on forever evil how kid flash and the teen Titans are sent to the future etc and we see a little bit of a flashback to how the flying grayson's uh, different um history was a little bit different on the uh earth 2 universe uh, sorry earth 3 universe sorry and then Thomas Wayne is basically trying to convince uh, Nightwing to join him because he wants to kind of go against uh, the crime syndicate or lead the crime syndicate. He doesn't want to have Ultraman necessarily be the leader, especially in a world without Kryptonite. Maybe it's something they can do. And then at the very end, we see that it looks like, I guess, Power Princess, or not Power Princess, Superwoman has been listening in and she's smiling, so we'll see what that means. Uh, I really liked the artwork. I thought it was a strong story to show you the dip, very big differences between Earth 3 and Earth 1, uh, or whatever you want to call the Prime Earth. Um, yeah, I actually thought this was quite good. Um, Jeff Johns is doing some good character work. Uh, there's not a lot proof in terms of uh, movement going forwards um, to the next storyline. It's really just feeding into Forever Evil and kind of building in some some additional color for that series. But that being said, it's still enjoyable, and I still gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh switching gears and going to something that's really terrible uh and again i think i'm being charitable giving it a four uh we have justice league 3000 number one uh this is uh not good uh this is actually kind of terrible um 
I don't know what I expected. This isn't what I expected at all. You have the be- the beginning of the issue feels like it doesn't have anything to do with anything else in the issue, because um, you have I guess this character who's been involved in this Project Cadmus, and now Cadmus is trying to kind of stop her, and she's on the run. And then we flash to these really dick characters who are kind of. The, I guess the leaders of Cadmus are extremely important in Cadmus, and they're, I guess, affectionately known as the Wonder Twins by the Justice League. And then we flash to the Justice League, and the Justice League are basically recomposited versions of the original characters that survived, that were around a thousand years earlier, but they have messed up personalities because they haven't been able to approximate everything about the original characters. Um, this is written by, well, plot, plotted by Keith Giffen, dialogue by J.M. DeMatteis, and uh, Howard Porter does the art, interior, and cover. Uh, I like Howard Porter. I didn't like his artwork here at all. It just was far from his strongest work. Uh, Demetrius and Giffen tried too hard to, to do something in particular to tell basically these weird distorted dick versions of the uh, Justice League, which is saying something, considering that Jeff Johns wrote them all as assholes in the first arc of Justice League anyway. Uh, I didn't really care for how they're all written. They're just... It's just this weird version of the Justice League that's not the real Justice League, and I don't know. I have no interest in really reading any more about this. I don't care about them as characters. I don't care about the world they live in. There's been nothing here as a, as a strong touch point to make me care about these characters or their adventures or what happens next. I honestly don't care if Superman kills Batman at this point. Um, there's not a lot here for me to really sink my teeth into and enjoy, which is why I gave it a four, and I'm thinking I should probably give it lower. I guess it's getting a four mainly based on the artwork by Howard Porter. Even though it's not his best, it's still better than the horrible writing. I give it maybe a two and a half out of five for the art, and then one and a half out of five for uh, for um, what's it called the writing. I mean, that will give us an overall four out of ten. It's just it's not good. Uh, next up is Nightwing number twenty six. I gave this a seven. It, it felt very forgettable. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the of the uh, artwork by Will Conrad. It's okay. Um, I did like the writing, however, by uh, by. Uh, I forget his name. What is what is his name? Kyle Higgins. Um, I liked his story behind what's going on with Nightwing here. The only thing that is bothersome is that Nightwing is obviously a pivotal point in Forever Evil, and yet this book just continues like nothing ever happened. Uh, I guess it is all taking place before. Um, I do like that we have a bit of a, a kind of a conflict for Nightwing to kind of be engaged in. That part's really cool. Um, and kind of having a character that can kind of give him a run for his money. Uh, him having, you know, roommates. I feel like, again, this they're trying to, they keep trying to give a supporting cast to Nightwing and it never really lasts, it never really works out. And then when it's over, they just do it again a few years later. And that's, it just seems like it's a weird point to do that, especially with the character being a huge, huge point in Forever Evil and even being like a partial focus of the Justice League 25. And yet we don't really see anything about then nothing even remotely connected to that in the ongoing Nightwing book, which is, I, as I said, a little bit frustrating and bothersome. But I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it's still good. It's just not as strong as I would like it to be. Uh, next up is Nova number 11. Nova number 11... So we have the new creative team um, officially on the book. Uh, so we have uh, Dugan writing it with Medina on artwork. I don't know how I feel about Jerry Dugan. I didn't like his Deadpool the first issue or two. Uh, I'm not really sure how I felt about the artwork either because at times it was almost too cartoony. It was trying too hard. I didn't kind of have that extra edge to it. Um, 
but uh, I d- it was an interesting kind of idea that you know uh, Sam is having a, an optical mind graze, what they call it, I think, and he's seeing these dots. He had them going back to school, and he gets into a fight at school, and then his mom's kind of not going to be happy about that, obviously. Anyways, he decides that uh, he doesn't have to have detention if he if he joins the um, the chess club, and he's not really sure about that, and then he hates chess, or and then he starts getting this weird you know blue dots and he realizes it's a map so he's not dying he's just got a map in his head and he has to figure out a way about it uh i do like the idea of him trying to learn chess or being kind of taught it and not really caring at all i like that i hope we get to see more of sam going to chess club as stupid as that sounds because it gives him a little bit more um uh shading his character because we get to know him a little bit more more personality and at the end of the issue He's, you know, he, so not the end of the issue. He's, you know, babysitting his sister. All he wants to do is, you know, kind of be a superhero. And the minute his mom gets home, she's asking if he's awake. She says goodnight. And then he takes the opportunity to put on the, uh, put on the helmet and become Nova and fly out into space, which really, if you were that age, who wouldn't want to? And then he finds an old dead corpseman. Uh, and then he's confronted by these different monsters and these, these spiders that basically killed that particular Nova. Um, and he's able to get himself kind of out of that uh, situation, thankfully. Uh, there's a ridiculous kind of uh, Star Wars reference as he destroys this particular bug, and then he's trying to figure out what to do with being able to see all this, all these dots, and he's figuring out that maybe they're all t- connected to uh, dead Novas, and then you have this character at the end who, um, is, I don't know if he's you know new or not, but... He's killed a Nova, and he has a Nova helmet, and he's so proud of it. And um, then he finds out that there are more Novas. That that means that there's more trophies for him to kind of have. He reminds me of uh, Balafunga uh, from uh, Green Lantern Corps, and not necessarily in a good way. It just kind of feels like a ripoff version of a character. Um, I gave it a six. I liked it for the most part, but there was enough things that kind of stuck out to me as bothersome. I like seeing more of Sam Alexander's life. Um, I just I also wish we'd just get more discussion as to what happened to Richard Ryder at some point. And every time I feel like we're getting close to that, then we take a few steps backwards. Uh, I, I still liked it. You know what? I'm actually going to upgrade my review to a six and a half because I think it's it's almost a seven. You know what? Hell, I'll give it a seven. Sometimes when I give things reviews, I feel a certain way, and then I read them again or I flip through them again for the podcast, and I start to feel differently. Uh, so that's why I'm going to give it a seven. And we're almost at the end here. We got uh, Uncanny X-Men 15.inh for Inhumanity. Uh, did not like this either. Um, so Bendis wrote this with artwork by Anka. Uh, this Chris Anka. Uh, I really didn't like this. I, I like the beginning. The very beginning you have in the past, magic going to the past and meditating with, um, with Doctor Strange. And that I think is really interesting and cool and great concept. And then she goes back to the future or her present and she's confronted by the cuckoos and uh, they want basically to go shopping they get Jean Grey involved they all want to go shopping be like more normal people not just X-Men all the time they go to get Emma Frost they wake her up they go shopping um, I just found this really boring and it was just too much and then you have this ridiculous character Geltoff who people who remember Geltoff from the Ultimate uh, Spider-Man universe uh, it looks like Geltoff has made his big new appearance in the uh, in the main universe now. He's still a librarian, and now he's an Inhuman, uh, Inhuman background. 
I just really didn't care for seeing him at all. Um, seeing AIM show up, like it just—it felt very disconnected as an issue of Uncanny X-Men. It felt like it didn't even need to happen. It, it, in some ways, it did feel like a classic kind of Claremontian issue where the X-Men are going shopping and this is what they do at the mall. Like that happened when uh, the first appearance of Jubilee. So it's not like it's unheard of. That being said, I just didn't really like it then. I liked it less now. I found I didn't like the artwork. Um, it's being an in, inhumanity crossover tie-in was not really a huge part of the story. It just happened to happen, but it was so not central, and then it was over. Uh, I, t- I just didn't like it. I gave it a 4 out of 10. I didn't like the artwork. I just found it frustrating. And next up is, last actually, is Wolverine number 12. This is Killable Part 5 of 6, written by Paul Cornell and Alan, Alan Davis on art. You know what? I actually really am enjoying this. I wasn't a huge fan of the first arc. Uh, I've been, been enjoying Killable. Alan Davis has been doing some fantastic artwork. Um, it's actually written quite well. I mean, this issue is actually pretty kind of badass. Um, I like the, seeing this kind of fallible Wolverine and seeing him kind of being beaten on. Uh, at the same time, as Shield's trying to figure out how to fend off an attack on, on Shield base. You have, um, you know, Wolverine's senses not being what they were, and he's going up against these hand ninjas who are actually being able to uh, tag him. Um, he takes out like, and there's this great shot of when he attacks um, one of the hand who's basically surrendered, and he's got like a scar down his eye, and just he looks like battle crazed. It's actually really badass. Um, him and Shadowcat having a bit of a an interesting um, time together because he's been so injured, and uh, the fact that he's covered in blood, and he's saying that he cut someone's throat, and everyone's like, no, you, you know, X Men are killers. Uh, it was probably a trick. There's probably a reason. You have one of these humans kind of really uh, going up against Wolverine and calling him a monster, etc. Wolverine that cuts off his hand and everyone's kind of going crazy. But it turns out, wait, it was Mystique. It's, she's fine. Maybe Wolverine really knew what he was doing, but maybe he didn't. Um, and then Wolverine's calling out for Sabretooth to just show up already. And uh, then here comes Sabretooth with the sword and ready to, to kind of take him out. And I like the way Sabretooth is illustrated here because it's very classy. It's very, you know, almost regal in its own way just because he's in a full suit and he's still able to be... And he's got all his hair kind of back in the ponytail. Uh, I really like the look for him. Alan Davis does a brilliant job on the issue. I really enjoyed the, the writing. I gave this an 8 out of 10. It was a really, really enjoyable read. So that was this week's books. I know I didn't have a lot of time to spend on some of them, but uh, that was about, I think, 10 different issues. I do apologize. There's been some loud stompings in the background, as I'm actually, as I said, in a basement, so there's all some loud sounds going on above. Uh, the issues I didn't get a chance to touch on include the following, and it's a long list. A plus X, 15, Amazing Spider-Man, sub 100.2, Amazing Spider-Man, sub 100.3, Astro City, number 7, Avengers AI, 7.inh, I wasn't a big fan of the INH issues I read, so I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy this either. Maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe I'll read it someday. Batman Black and White, number four. Batman Little Gotham, number nine. Cable and X-Force, 17. Cape. Captain America, Living Legend, number four. I'm sad I didn't get a chance to read that because I really enjoyed issue, I think, one and three. Maybe two. I don't remember which issues I actually got a chance to read. Uh, Cataclysm Ultimate Spider-Man number 2, Cataclysm Ultimates 2, Coffin Hill 3, Constantine number 9, Emerald Emerald City of Oz number 5, Federal Bureau of Physics number 6, 
Forever Evil, Arkham War number 3, Green Lantern Corps, 26, Justice League of America number 10. After reading the last two issues, I had no interest in reading this one, especially after the first page or two. Uh, Katana number 10, Legends of the Dark Knight, 100 page, Super Spectacular number 1, Marvel Knights Hulk number 1, Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble number 3, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man 21, Magazine Avengers 4.INH, Scooby-Doo Where Are You number 40, Smallville Season 11 Alien number 1, Suicide Squad 26, Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 6, Thunderbolts 19, Wolverine and the X-Men 39, Wolverine Max number 14, Superboy 26, Superman Wonder Woman number 3, and World's Finest number 18. So that is our episode. Thank you for listening to the reviews for December 11th. You can reach Comic Shenanigans at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, post in our HC Realms thread, and also like us, uh, sorry, uh, give us a rate and review on iTunes as well. Uh, as for upcoming episode, episode 128 should be an episode focusing on Star Trek with um, uh, Tibor Mate and myself, which should be an interesting episode, I'm hoping. Um, and then moving on from there, we're going to have a review episode coming up uh, probably on the 23rd, 24th. I'm not sure what the full episode uh, is going to be next week, uh, which will come out probably just after Christmas, just because I was hoping to do one with Paul, uh, sorry, with Nathan Strzok, but that has been pushed to the following week now, so it's going to be another solo episode. And then uh, moving from there, uh, the first episode of the new year will be an episode that I do with uh, with Nathan Strzok and hopefully with uh, Lynn Orlana as well. Hopefully that'll be a Talking Heroclix episode, and uh, hopefully I'll have... You know, time to ask Nate about some stuff that I love so he can tell me he hates it. Um, that's kind of the ongoing joke for comic shenanigans is that sometimes Nate seems to be the, the naysayer, the poo-pooer, often uh, to my boundless excitement about things. Although sometimes Paul does it as well. Anyways, thank you for joining me for this episode, and we will catch you next time with episode 128. Bye-bye.